Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on Hawk Fanatic. I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman of The Athletic, fresh off of vacation. We are recording this at about 9.15 a.m. Central Time on Thursday, June the 10th. Scott, um, I was going to start this by asking how your vacation went. Uh, Then I saw the other day and we went back and forth on social media uh, a loss for you and your family and our podcast. And uh, for those that will see the video clip that I post with this podcast, uh, a, uh, a photo of Sparkle in the back with his cutout from Carver Hawkeye Arena. Really sad news, man. It got me down when I saw that. And I know it probably or definitely hit your family a lot harder than it hit me. Yeah, thanks. And uh, it was it was tough. Um, you know, we'd had Sparkle for 12 years and and his brother Zilla. We've got we've got them both the same day and they both have completely different personalities. And Sparkle kind of became he was more like a dog than a cat. Uh, <laughs> sat with me everywhere. He, he wasn't mercurial the way the cat the most cats are and the way his brother is, certainly. But uh yeah, it was, it was a sad moment for our family that uh, Sparkle had had some, you know, some health issues over the years, but this one, um, you know, never, this one kind of came out of nowhere seemingly. And, um, you know, he's, he crossed the rainbow bridge. So, uh, you know, we're, I'm happy that, uh, you know, you talked about him and then we decided to do the cut, Carver cutout. <laughs> so I'll always have this little reminder of, uh, of Sparkle and uh, he was my buddy, you know, he, I, I, a lot of times I was doing, I would do stats and, and my Mondays in the fall, that's, uh, I do a heavy, heavy stat day. I go through every aspect of the box score, the video, uh, play chart, uh, personnel groupings and uh, snaps and everything like that. And a lot of times I get up and I go look back and he'd be laying across my notebooks <laughs> and stuff like, you know, it's time to pet me, but uh no, it's uh, it's been tough, especially with the pandemic. Haven't left the house much, and he's been he's been there. So, yeah, a big loss for us and for our family and for me personally. And uh, you know, better uh, best wishes, Sparkle, and uh, hope he's in a better place where he's happier and has unlimited wet cat food. Yes, may he rest in peace. And I think I know you probably associate with this, but you know, a lot of times when we're sports reporters that work from home, it's I don't know. It's, 
to have people sympathize with us, but it can be lonely. You're sitting in for hours in front of a computer. And, uh, you know, if you have a pet, um, you're usually by yourself. Pet comes up. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. It's like your only interaction. I, you know, I have that with our dog. They'll just come up every now and then check in, see how I'm doing. And yeah, right. it's important. And you become attached to the, to the animals and everybody has an attachment to their animals, but that's kind of from a sports writer's perspective. That's kind of, uh, how we connect a lot of times with those pets and get to get bonded with them. And they, they kind of say, Hey, you know, they, they, they know where we are and they come and check us out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're home all the time. I'm home all the time. And then the pandemic forced us to be home all yeah. the time. And, and so even if you're in your office or wherever you work from your home, in my case, I have an office downstairs, but I also work a lot upstairs. I even have like a little Lego table for my kids left over that I put a blanket <laughs> on so he could, cause he would jump up there and, and just kind of sit and lay down just to be next. I'd say you get attached to them a little bit more than I did working at the office, like at right. the Z and stuff, you know, they were just kind of animals for my kids then, but yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a tough moment, but you know, everybody experiences it that has pets and we'll go on, but uh, he certainly left a, you know, left a mark for our family and, and we'll miss him dearly. And he was, a, he'll always be a part of the early stages of the Hawkeye hotspot podcast, which is, yeah. <clears throat> which is cool. And the folks that are kind enough to listen to us, uh, hopefully uh, we'll uh, connect with this and, and uh, pour a little out for sparkle. Everybody can pour a little out for sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. We'll all, uh, you know, make it like a, an Irish cat wake or something, you know. <laughs> Speaking of pouring a little out, Scott, um, news today from Iowa. That's There's good. a transition. There's a good one. Yeah. Um, we've all known it was coming, and now it's here. Alcohol sales to the general uh, populations at Kinnick, Carver, Iowa baseball and Iowa softball, um, as we talked about a little bit before we started recording, um, you know, Gary Bart has said, it's been, I, I can't remember the years all run together, yeah. but we were in Chicago and I remember he was asked about it when it was starting to, you know, become more prominent throughout the country that they wouldn't be the first, they being the mm -hmm. Hawkeyes and, and certainly wouldn't be the last. Uh, and as you uh, alerted me, I was eighth. <laughs> so kind of right, right in the middle uh, in joining this. And it makes all the sense in the world. It was coming anyway after the pandemic, trying to make up finances makes a whole lot of sense. And we'll see. I know you've written about it. You've got a, a story at, at The Athletic today. Why don't, uh, why don't you give people some of the particulars? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, you know, they first started selling alcohol in 2006 when they renovated the press box and added luxury suites. And and a lot of people were kind of upset. And, and I understand that, you know, that, hey, why do the bigwigs get, uh, you know, wine and beer and we don't? Well, because they're the they, bigwigs. They added it to the north end zone, too, right? right? Wasn't it available there as well? Okay. Yeah, in 2018. Now, um, in 2016, I caught... Um, Bruce Harold, and he was adamantly against it, just refused because at that point, and this is kind of why it probably was delayed longer than we would in normal times. Um, you know, Iowa for five straight years was either first or second in party school rankings right. and had a, had a significant binge drinking problem at, at, for the university. And so um, the, the optics were horrible if Iowa decided, oh yeah, by the way, we're going to add beer to the 
to the football stadium and basketball arena and everything else like that. So uh, they waited until they had new club areas in 2018. And, and the numbers have dropped significantly. I mean, I kind of went back and, in, you know, in 2009, um, 70% of Iowa students engaged in high risk drinking within uh, two weeks of, of conducting a survey. Yikes. With only 33% compared to only 33% of national students. But that number dropped to 47.7% two years ago. So they had, and their target goal was 49%. So, you know, in a 10 year period, that had dropped quite a bit. And the average number of alcoholic drinks per occasion went from 7.4 to 5.2. So <laughs> that's, that's a good drop as well. And good job uh, but, out of you guys. Yeah, way to go. Way to get drunker <laughs> faster or uh, be. be I was consumed by lightweights now, but no, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, after 2018, when they, re when they redid the North end zone and added alcohol sales to those low boxes, the Ironman boxes and, and some of the other club seat areas, uh, it was like, it was inevitable. They started having discussions. Then Barta talked to us in 2019, two years ago at Chicago. And, uh, you know, really, you know, at the point he even said, uh, then, that at some point we'll get there. As you mentioned, yeah. we won't be first. We won't be last. They are eight now in the big 10. When did, um, when did Carver add that section that we're same year. Okay. Yeah. Same year. So that was kind of a, that was kind of an indication too, that it was coming there. Yeah. And they got, and they made, you know, $280,000 uh, from, you know, the Carver and, and Kinnick sales and alcohol just from those areas. Yeah. Uh, but then looking at uh, like Purdue, which also sells alcohol in this, you know, throughout the stadium, uh, you know, in 2018, when they got to be pretty decent, they beat Ohio State and Iowa at home. Uh, they went from like $560,000 in alcohol sales to over a million. And 73% of that came from the uh, concourse area, which is gen pop. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know right. so the regular fans so i and, and iowa which has a bigger stadium and you know it'll be fuller more often than purdue i would expect that to grow significantly um I, and my my guess is probably five times that amount probably in the 1.5 million range uh for all the all the venues and stuff if not more and uh yeah we we expected this to happen it's now here um you know, there's going to be some blowback and some pushback, but if there's a, if there is a, another area that fans may be a little bit more ticked about, it's that they, they change, they're changing the, the tailgating hours outside of Kinnick and uh, uh -oh. on yeah, on university hours. It, so the lots will open at, at uh, no later than 6am um, for 11 o'clock kickoffs, but now it's, they're changing it to open just six hours before kickoff no matter what was what it time. before scott it was 6 a.m no matter if they kicked off at 11 or 7 you know okay. it didn't matter now it's they're going to kick off there you know 11 o'clock kicks will still be 6 a.m opening but, but iowa they, has these 230 kicks at the beginning of the year so we're looking at my remedial math 830 <laughs> yeah 830 or one o'clock for a seven and uh Oof. so so that's gonna so what do you expect there I mean, people are going to be pissed. Some people were going to be pissed. And, um, you know, the data that they collected for this, 92% of vehicles uh, have entered the U. And this is just UI controlled. I mean, they, they have no bearing over whether, you know, some guy on uh, 
a Melrose court, <laughs> you know, it says, Hey, come to my lot, you know, or my, uh, park, uh, driveway or whatever. But, uh, only, uh, you know, so 92% of the people enter those lots within six hours of kickoff. That's normal, but you know, that's still what one out of 11 or so that come before that. And so there, there's going to be some blowback there a little bit. I think the one that they're going to probably get hurt most about is probably the 2.30 games. Yeah. You know, but, you know, 8.30 isn't bad, but that might be one that I could see them end up changing, you know, maybe not even six, maybe it's seven or something like that. That Because, you know, seven o'clock kickoff, you know, one o'clock isn't that bad. But, um, you know, if it's a 2.30 kick, I think that's when people still go to the stadium about the same time and there might be some blowback there. Yeah. Oh, I muted myself there. Um, it's, it's give and take, you know, and, um, you know, I, the conspiracy theorists are going to say, listen, they're limiting us out in the parking lot so they can sell more to us when we get into the stadium. And my guess is the beer in the stadium is not going to be cheap. Yeah, <laughs> no, it won't be. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any idea what they charge like at other stadiums for, for beer and what people um, can kind of expect? I we can look at that, we can look that up, but yeah, it's not gonna be cheap. We, no, we can say that. No. Yeah, <laughs> you could just you, you use your imagination, you you figure what you pay at Wrigley or yeah. um somewhere like that, and that's what you're gonna get. Um <laughs> Kinnick, you know. I mean, if is it gonna be nine dollars for a 16 ounce? I don't know, probably something like that. And um, you know, it'll although the chances are it's going to be probably more cans than uh, the drafts just because they're more simple to, uh, to process, you know, to get people right. in and out. Now the, the fear would be if you have a game where people start throwing can now if they want to throw cans of beer on the field. I don't know if they want to waste their $9, but um, <laughs> you know, but still that, that's, that's a fear you could have, I suppose. But um you know, I, I don't know. Can you imagine a bunch of people start throwing nine dollar beers? Maybe not in Iowa. No, <laughs> nine dollar beers mean a lot. <laughs> Scott, I was wondering. Um, I know, again, you have a story on this that I haven't had a chance to read yet, but um, just from a, um, a a standpoint of um, being able to uh, monitor the alcohol intake and. Maybe I don't know if security is the right word, but just are are is there any thought of maybe family sections? What's going on in the student section? Just to make sure that things don't get out of hand anywhere, and then also have an area maybe for uh, I know a lot of uh, venues that have and sell alcohol do family sections. Uh, there, there they won't have a family section directly because um, they they found that to be really challenging. Yeah, uh, I, I would know, say, yeah, that makes sense. But uh, th there will not be, you know, taps or beer out uh, distri distribution areas uh, through next to um, the student section. So uh, <laughs> that is, uh, so they, they'll, if they're going to go buy beer, they're going to have to go somewhere, at least walk somewhere to, to go do that. Um, as far as, uh, you know, so the security, they don't anticipate much because in looking back through like Ohio State, um, they had way fewer issues as far as arrests go and everything than uh, 
you know, the, than a lot of other places did. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think that there'll be much of a problem there. Um, you know, and they figure um, people instead of down in two or three or four beers at the same time, you know, before they leave, will, uh, you know, before they leave their parking lot, we'll say, oh, forget it. We'll just go get a couple inside. So that's good. Well, I just hope that it's there. They, you know, they've looked over it and have the best plan put in place and don't have to be reactive in case there are issues in the stadium because of it. But yeah, exactly. I mean, some, some things are unpredictable, but hopefully they've done their due diligence in trying to, uh, in trying to uh, curb any poor and bad behavior. Um, any idea um, revenue wise, I know you talked about this a little bit with, uh, does Iowa have an estimate? What, what it feels like it can do here? Um, you know, he wouldn't get into it. He just pretty much said, look, it's, it's comparable to where you, to what you, uh, um, ex- what you get at most other schools. Uh, so, you know, if Purdue or Ohio state made like five years ago, made like 1.3 million off alcohol sales. So, um, Anyway, you know, I haven't, um, uh, you know, they, they don't, they won't update it specifically, but I think that's going to be the case is probably somewhere in that neighborhood. That makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully that is used for, um, you know, getting, you know, recovering the athletic department a little bit from what it went through last year. Um, you know, it's got the loan out from, um, the university itself, hopefully all of that stuff helps them kind of get back to where they were and recover from, um, you know, pandemic losses. Yeah. Right. And if it's like a million five, then it's going to help, you know, in a lot of different areas. And, uh, you know, and the fact that it's, you know, it, it has its positive byproducts that I think if you get a nice summer or spring weekend in April and early May for the baseball and softball teams, people yeah. might say, you know what, I'm going to go out and have a beer and watch a game. Not that beer is everything, but it is a, a, an important part of sports, uh, you know, of, of what people do in their sports experience. So I think this is a, this is a big deal. Yeah. So we'll see um, how this goes over with everybody. And I'm sure there's going to be, as we talked about, there will be, um, people very happy about this development and then people will complain about the tailgating and uh, we'll, see, we'll see how it all shakes out. But uh, yes, big news. That's going to be the news of the day here and uh, will be talked about. And uh, so not only can, will fans be allowed back into Kinnick for the first time in a couple of years, they'll be able to drink their faces off if they want and they have a lot of money to do so. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so start saving your money now. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, you know, take those cans back to uh, the can shed, um, you know, out on Southeast Iowa City. And, uh, you know, at some point, then you're going to be able to, to use that money and buy, uh, you know, probably what, plastic cups or <laughs> cardboard cups to uh, fill them up with, uh, with beer at, at Kinnick Stadium. And check out Scott's story at The Athletic on this for much more information and detail uh, on what's happening here and feedback from the university and and Matt Henderson. Um, Scott, let's, uh, let's flip over to um, your piece today. You guys have done a series. Uh, it, I don't know if this was the last Big Ten school to be released, but I know a lot came before you. Uh, the Iowa football state of the program piece that you guys do annually uh, was released this morning. 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I spent quite a bit of time on this and, and I think I was number 10, maybe out of the big 10. I know Minnesota's last because I still have to write that one. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it's an overview of the program in a lot of different, you know, position by position, recruiting rankings, you know, key storylines. We have some um, assistant coaches from around the, the big 10 and other places actually that, that know Iowa well. Uh, kind of breaking down Iowa, giving a little bit more depth to their uh, uh, to to the team, and and so yeah, it's a it's a kind of a big deal. So I think this is um, you know this is something that uh, we do we do pretty well, and we have everybody uh, who's uh, um, you know every every team covered in, in the Power Five and uh, Iowa State's in a couple weeks. We've already published Indiana, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and some other teams. Yeah, I've been reading through them. I would encourage people to check those out. Again, the athletic subscription is uh, well worth your money, um, not only if you're an Iowa fan, but if you're just a fan of college football or, um, you know, Major League Baseball, all the professional sports, all college sports. I uh, got to read a little bit this morning about my New York Islanders advancing uh, uh, yeah. to the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I admit I am a fair weather hockey fan. <laughs> I've been an Islanders fan my whole life. When they're really bad, I don't really pay attention. As I, but I do pay attention to like the Knicks and the Mets and the Jets when they stink, which is most often. <laughs> yeah. The Islanders, I really jump in when they're doing well and be up against it against Tampa Bay. But who knows? Maybe this year we'll we'll get through to the cup again, but um, yeah, great, great um, uh, value you get from the athletic. And I would certainly encourage that Scott, why don't you hit on just, you know, I want people to, to, to go and read that and, and buy subs, but maybe just some yeah. highlights of what you found in doing the piece and, and kind of what stood out to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess first, you know, was, I, I just kind of, you know, I, I looked at, at Kirk and just kind of, I, I surmised what last year was, which was such a chaotic year where we've discussed it, it lengths here. And, but just now that, you know, he's kind of more on a five-year plan again, rather than a five week or five month plan. But, but my, uh, my big picture look is that this team is, is set at, um, you know, quarterback and defensive line are, two, are really the two areas that make it, um, you know, wonder if, um, you know, they're, they're going to be competitive for a Big Ten West title and a trip to Indianapolis, or if they're just simply going to be the, uh, you know, a good team the way they kind of have been over the last five years, which is, you know, not, you know, maybe second or third in the West, winning eight, nine, ten games, end up ranked, having a good year, but nothing really memorable. And, I, and really it comes down to quarterback and, you know, the, the some of the, the numbers, and I've, I've reported this before, but you kind of put it in context that when Petrus releases the ball within 2.5 seconds, it was 66.7% uh, of his passes. If it's after 2.5, it's 44.7. You cannot have that this year if you want to get to Indianapolis. And I think all things told, you know, as much equity to a fault sometimes that Kirk puts into this, into these uh, – into a lot of his players and, and certainly player at quarterback. That's been definitely been the case. I don't think you can play that game this year. If you want to get to Indianapolis, which means to me, you can have patience with Spencer Petras. If you think he can guide you to Indianapolis, if you don't, then it's time to make a change. 
And I think that needs to be kind of an open competition. And, and uh, I kind of wrote that, you know, Padilla in August surge from Padilla could make it very interesting. And I think we both probably expect Petrus to be the starter week one and probably week two. But again, I, I think in some ways this is, this season is about, you've got to do something memorable. And if quarterback is going to play the way it did last year with little growth, uh, because I think last year was strange because they were 0-2 in the close games and 6-0 in the, in the big game, in the games where they won decisively outside of the Nebraska one. This year, there's going to be closer games. They're playing their, the tougher teams on the road. Um, they're playing at Wisconsin. They're playing at Northwestern. You know, Nebraska has been within a one score of the last three seasons, and, and Iowa State certainly has been – ultra close, you know, for several years in a row. So it's going to be about quarterback making plays on third down. And uh, it's not going to just be about blowing people off the line of scrimmage the way they did last year. So that's kind of what I looked at it um, on offense. Although one, one statistic that I love is um, in 2019, when Iowa had a fullback on the field and I was kind of screaming for him to get him, get rid of it they ran for 3.6 yards per carry when a fullback was out there last year was 5.1 shows you how good Monty Pottebaum was. Um, he's a killer. So <laughs> yeah. Also T Goodson playing yeah. full time helps as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then defensive line, uh, you know, they missed out on a, uh, um, you know, a guy this week, you know, I thought they had him. I talked to him on Saturday or Sunday and I was like, he really likes Iowa. But then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, ah, that trip to state college. Yeah. And as much Scott as, you know, Iowa has to offer when it goes up against schools like that, just odds are against it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. And, you know, and that's the strange thing about, um, you know, really, that's the strange thing about recruiting is that no matter how good you are, no matter how good you were, you know, you're never, you know, the blue bloods still have a, uh, um, still have a hold on everybody. Yep. <laughs> uh, Michigan, Michigan was dog shit last year. It was the worst team in the big 10 by the end of the year. I, I think if it would have played the weekend, it was supposed to play Iowa. If it would have played anybody in the big 10, it would have lost. It's got and, some bigger problems going on off the field right now over yeah, there too. We'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's horrific. If especially having the stepson of Bo Schembechler bring. I think it's on. press conferences today. Yeah, it is. So uh, to have that happen, it's just um, it's going to be it's crazy. So anyway, um, you know that that's the weird thing about recruiting. But I, I think defensive line is what the other separator is for, um, you know, for the Hawkeyes. I mean, if they can stop their own and, and we'll find that one out, if not week one, certainly week two, when they play against Iowa state and they play against Brees hall, you're going to know right away. If, if you're going to be able to slow them down, they're, they're going to get some first downs. He's a great back. He's maybe the best in the country. If he's not the best, then either the, either uh, Mo Ibrahim or, or Tyler Goodson is, you know? Yeah. So um, I, Maybe this is just me, and maybe I'm off on this, and maybe it's just I thought it looked pretty, pretty decent in the two spring practices. I just I'm not overly concerned about defensive line. It would have been nice to get this Jordan Vandenberg uh, for the, that's who we were talking about. For people that didn't know, yeah. he was a 
a one-year at Iowa Western uh, kid from Georgia who came here from South Africa when he was 10 years old, uh, camped, I think, at Nebraska Friday got an offer. Iowa yeah. Saturday got an offer, visited Penn State Tuesday and got an offer, and then committed right away. He would have he would have been a nice addition to the defensive interior of this line. But I, I don't know. They've got a lot of bodies there. I know they're inexperienced. I just I, I have some confidence in in Iowa's ability. Uh, coaches Kelvin Bell and, and uh, Jay Neiman, uh, Phil Parker. I just I, I they'll find a way with these guys, and maybe that's just me being naive and, and you know resting on past accomplishments. But <laughs> I think they have some talent up there. They they sure do. I, I really like the the guts of the younger group of this. I just you know there's like this middle disconnect. You've got some real you got some veterans like Van Valkenburg, Shannon, who's a rotational veteran. Uh, Wagner, I think, will be really good, and Joe Evans, who I think you know those three um, all will uh, you know rotate well, and and they probably should get another younger one in there in the defensive ends just to get them some experience too. But Deontay Craig, uh, yeah, I would like to see him primarily or even mm-hmm. her Ethan her cattle either one of those one. two yeah but, but I'd like to see I'd like to see Craig simply because I, I where I think her could be more of a full service guy mm-hmm. um, and I think that requires more growth I think Deontay Craig may have one particular skill in rushing the passer that you can exploit in in situations and and that's what you need to have if you know hey you slide John Wagner in inside uh, for, you know, to pass rush the way you did Chauncey Golston and, and AJ Epineza a little bit in his final year. And then you can bring in Deontay Craig to rush off the edge. I think you're in good shape, but, um, but defensive tackle is where I'm most concerned. And part of that is because they had so many injuries at that yeah. position. And uh, when you're seeing, you know, no, no offense to, to Louis Steck. Um, but it was, uh, you know, he, he's a, he's, Six, he lists him at six foot. He looks smaller than that, shorter than that. A little like Rudy. He's yeah. got a little Rudy to him. And I, you know, may, <laughs> maybe he's the he's the right guy to go out there and eat some innings, you know, go out and just just fill space. But I'm not sure you could win games. You know. And Scott isn't demeaning Louie at all. I mean, no. these those guys are, you know, invaluable, especially in practice. And this spring, when they needed somebody to go in there, he went in and and gave them looks. And that's, that's what you need. I've got, I think I've got blind faith, Scott and guys like Logan Jones and, mm-hmm. you know, Yaya Black and, and uh, Logan Lee, I, I've got some blind faith in that they'll be able to get something out of those guys that, but like you said, those first few weeks is really, it, it's baptism by fire. Yeah. And that's why I, if nothing else, I would have liked to have seen him pull like another Jack Heflin. Yeah. And just to slide in there and just take up space, play hard. You don't even have to make tackles, you know, not in Iowa's two gap, just be there and allow the, the awesome linebackers to do it. Cause I think they are at least the starters, uh, you know, but you look at who they have at defensive tackle and that's where, you know, now Noah Shannon did a nice job of rotating last year. Uh, but you know, you're losing two NFL guys. One that was the, you know, unanimous All-American. <laughs> That's hard. Uh, you know, YA Black, I think, has a lot of potential. 
but you know, he was out the second part of camp. Now, a lot of people are saying, look, this guy's a superhero in a practice. Okay. But he's got to be out there to play and I'd like to see it so I could promote it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and say, yes, this guy is going to be the next, uh, you know, Davion Nixon. Um, you know, Logan Lee, we've heard a lot of good things about him, but he has, he's been out pretty much his whole entire career. Logan Jones was hurt. Um, you know, I, I liked what I saw at a Lucas Van Ness. I think he made a lot of plays and Isaiah Bruce, I think, you know, really fought this spring and has some potential, but just like, it, you, you, I, I guess I look at it as fourth quarter at Ames against Brees Hall. Can they stop him when, when they're trying to chew up the clock, whether, whatever it's to, to go kick a game winning field goal or to keep, or to preserve the game, the Cyclones that, that is, do they have the defensive line to stop it? And that's where I'm kind of like, you know, I don't know that they, they have it right this very minute. And it's, there's still a very good chance that they get a plug and play guy. Um, There's still guys in the portal, um, you know, Recruiting just opened back up June 1st. Uh, Iowa's pretty good at identifying players like that. Uh, maybe guys flying under the radar a little bit. Um, you know, Jordan Vandenberg uh, was a guy that they started with in December, but yeah. and they probably could have offered him and maybe gotten a commitment from him earlier, but they wanted to get him on campus. So they got him Saturday, one-on-one workout, what they saw on film. Uh, they got to see with their own eyes. They offered then, and it's just timing. You know, they didn't know that Penn State was going to come in and and swoop in and take them. Uh, but you know, those those plug and play defensive tackles are valuable everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> no um, question. If there's a talented, you know, if there's a talented kid, he's going to be in high demand, and that kind of what kind of is what happened here. But I would say I I would bet, and I don't have any names for you, Scott, but I, there are guys. Uh, they have a list of guys behind Jordan Vandenberg that they'll probably look at now and maybe bring them in for, for one-on-one workouts or um, camps, things like that, and, and maybe get somebody to, uh, to fill that spot. You know, there, there was a, there's a player out there, um, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't left his team, but I, always, I wondered about him based on what I saw this spring and, and in the, the, his growth quite a bit. And that is, uh, uh, you know, he was, he was at Regina and then he went to Northern Iowa and became the Valley Defensive Player of the Year and Jared Brinkman. Um, you know, he would be a guy Iowa clearly overlooked. And um, now he's a, a big time success. He's he, those are the types of guys that you, you know, and maybe not him specifically. I'm sure he loves his program and uh, wants to succeed and beat Iowa State and all that, you know, in the opener. But I also those are the types of players you expect to hit the, the portal in, in coming up in the future. Yeah. I don't know, Jared. I, I, I think I did a story or two of, on him and recruiting. He, like you said, he visited Iowa. Um, you just don't know kind of what's in the head of those guys. He may be pretty loyal to Northern Iowa and say, yeah, I appreciate mm-hmm. you guys, you know, being interested, but I'm going to finish up here, um, you know, with, with the guys that I've grown up with. And then some guys do, you know, Xavier Williams wants to take, take that shot at the higher level. So we'll kind of see there. And, I, and I'm sure, some, like I said, I'm sure some more names will come out here in the next few weeks of guys that could potentially fill that role. But uh, yeah, missed out on Jordan Vandenberg, but uh, there's more fish in the sea, as they say. Yeah. And I, I think by and large, it's, 
if Iowa can grab one defensive tackle that's a senior that can just step in and and rotate, you know, it doesn't even have to doesn't have to be even as good as Heflin was, but somebody like Heflin would be perfect. Then I think you're looking at um, an ideal situation because I I do really like the younger players in that uh, you know in the the, the redshirt freshmen. I think they have some studs. I really do, but I also think that it's. Uh, you know, and and maybe the Iowa State game. Maybe I'm putting too much on that. I just think that it's they're a national contender, like it or not, they are um, at least at this point in the season. So it's how you measure yourself. And um, plus, it's Iowa State. It's a rival. You'd want to win that game if you're going to be the difference between being eight and four and seven and five. It matters, let alone if it's the difference between because it has long-term ramifications, which is not only for you and where you are ranked, but also for your league, because at the end it could be a one loss Ohio state versus a one loss Oklahoma for the final playoff spot mm-hmm. and how Iowa state did against Iowa could impact, uh, you know, playoff selections. So, you know, that that's why I'm kind of like, just think of it in those terms. Um, it's third and two fourth quarter. Maybe you're winning, maybe they're winning, maybe it's tied. Um, uh, you know what's coming. You have the you have the guys to stop it up front, and that's that's what it comes. To. And then, of course, on the other side of the ball, do you have the the quarterback who can complete the third and four by going to his third third different receiver? I don't know. What else can folks read about in that state of the program, Scott? Yeah, or probably my favorite part of these programs and that we expanded on this year is we we were all uh, all of those reporters were able to kind of talk to different assistants whether it's around the big 10 or beyond. And, um, you know, so I, I had uh, quotes or whatever from three different big 10 assistants just to talk about Iowa. And one of them was, you know, two of them are related to quarterback, frankly. And uh, like one said, uh, we played Nate Stanley and Stanley wasn't that great, but it seemed like he never missed a throw with Petrus. He was inaccurate, different from the other guy. We wanted to pressure him. To beat Iowa, you have to stop the run first. And once you do that, you've got a shot. Um, you know, and, and then another person was like, was he at the level of Stanley? No, but that was kind of Nate Stanley at the end of the thing. You know, Petrus is big. He's got arm strength. I watched the Penn State game, and I thought he looked night and day better in that game in terms of making throws than what he did in our game. Um, so he thinks he'll make a big jump. And another one was on the offensive side of the ball. And the thing that makes Iowa and, – and I'm I'm – Pairing this way down because there's a lot more to it. But the thing that makes Iowa special is how they play with their hands on defense. They're one of the only teams that will play almost like a minus in the box. So they'll play like six players in the box as opposed to seven or even eight. Um, and they're able to create separation because of the two gap and they hold the gaps, the second gap, then disconnect and make the play. Um, so just, I think that's really, really fascinating. Um, additionally, you know, we always kind of, we kind of draw this line on how teams recruit versus their on-field performance. And Iowa always outperforms its recruiting rankings, but uh, for 2000 uh, and 2021, (laughs) it was actually pretty close, you know, because they they finished high in the rankings and then um, the 15th and then what, like 24th, Mm -hmm. you know, by, uh, so that was actually the closest they've been. They, they're probably number one when it comes to outperforming their, their rankings year in and year out. Um, but yeah. And then I also provide a schedule analysis impact of the coaching changes, the transfers to know 
both going and coming. And um, Julius Brents is doing a really good job uh, at K-State. So, Not surprising. No, I thought he was a good player. It's just – Numbers. Yeah, you know, I understand it. from His, his transfer now, looking back, especially with Hankins returning – makes a lot of sense. Yep. It's, it's one that, Hey, you know, did he want to sit for another full year, you know, and, and Riley Moss is the opposite corner. Well, no. Okay. Well, it's time to move on. And, and uh, he's tearing it up. He's doing a really good job. They really like him. So that one could come back conceivably to say what happened here, but I don't think anything drastic happened. He did have some mistakes on special teams. I think we were all aware of, but, um, but anyway, um, I think so, he did. I mean, he struggled against David Bell, and I think that rattled his confidence a little bit. Took him out, put him on special teams. I just think he kind of, I don't want to say, but but maybe he did. He got into his own head a little bit and didn't just play. Um, I think some of the confidence was shaken. And David Bell will shake a lot of people's confidence. David Bell clearly is an NFL player, and – and there's, person, and there's a personal angle right. there, too, for those yeah. two guys. So, Right. Yeah, they went against each other <laughs> and practice a lot. And, and uh, you know, he was he was in a tough spot, certainly. But he, you know, and it kind of came down to how was Iowa going to play? Uh, you know, they had Hankins running cash that game. Yep. And they had him on the outside. And, and second time around, you know, the next week they decided, let's go with Merriweather at safety. Um, and use him as kind of the replaceable part. And, and uh, it turned out that, uh, you know, and, and Brent's wasn't the best uh, of the bunch, you know, and I, I think there's been a lot of discussion about Moss. Moss has played pretty well. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's stereotyping a little bit because I think he's a pretty good player. So, and then behind, you know, is my question will be, especially for this year and maybe beyond is, is Brent's better than Xavier Williams? Yeah, I'm wondering about Xavier Williams, man, where he fits in here, if he's going to get lost in the shuffle, and this was if this was not a good move for him. Yeah. We'll see. Right. I mean, he, you know, he would have obviously got all the run in the world at UNI, and if he's just kind of a special teams specialist, special, you know, package guy here, it wasn't worth it for him. So kind of mm-hmm. see how that shakes out. I will say um, – the first assistant coach that you quoted, I believe he said Nate Stanley didn't miss any throws against them. Okay. So Indiana, <laughs> I, hell that would be a good one, but, but no, I'm thinking to myself, okay. I, yeah. I watched it like Nate Stanley's whole career here. And, yeah. uh, he has missed some throws. Right. Um, I'll tell you what, that that's a great guess, but it's not right. <laughs> okay, I won't I won't put you on the spot anymore. Yeah. But that's to me the the, the game in Bloomington uh, mm-hmm. was kind of his high high water mark. But uh, and I yeah. like Nate. Nate yeah. Nate got better as his career went on. He still had some problems with accuracy, and that's really for me what Petrus has to show. He he needs to be more consistent. Nate struggled with that all the way through his career. We'll see if Spencer can find that consistency. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Nate ended up, you know, he's, there've been a handful of quarterbacks that have come through the big 10. Oh, really last decade or so that have been pretty good stat stuffers, but 
haven't quite led their teams to greatness. You know, Joel Stave was that way a little bit at, at Wisconsin. Um, and, and I think Stanley was kind of that way here. Um, you know, 68 touchdown passes that ranked 13th in big 10 history. That was pretty impressive. And, and you look individually like his first year, especially, you know, 26 touchdowns, six interceptions that yep. you know, big and strong like that throwing what 12 to, to uh, what's his face. Um, <laughs> no offense. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, so anyway, uh, I, I think that's really, uh, you know, uh, the thing is though, did Nate deliver in championship moments? And he did not. Um, he had yeah. opportunities to do so and he did not. And I think that by and large, his, his issues were, he read things, developing things just a tad too slow and then tried to use his arm strength to compensate. That's why early in his career, he was kind of rough when it came to um, overthrows because he would see the deep receiver to open up and then he'd just gun it and yep. then he'd overthrow it. Um, later on, uh, this this was the Wisconsin game that they lost two years ago. And it, ultimately, that was the game that decided the, the West Division title. Um, there was a, a play they had to kick a field goal, and it was near the goal line. And Tyrone Tracy was crossing, and I could just see it develop, and I'm like, he's open. And like a, another heartbeat after that, he saw it develop. And he was not open and he overthrew him in the end zone. And it was like, he gunned it. And, and that's what was Nate Stanley in championship moments. He was a very good quarterback, um, but you know, he's not CJ Beathard because Beathard put those moments together, you know, Ricky Stanzi and, and, and be all those. So uh, by and large, he was good. Brad Banks. Well, yeah. we'll see. I mean, Spencer has that opportunity. Uh, I think we both like Spencer as a person and feel like he has the potential to reach that level. But I thought Nate did too. And we'll just kind of see, I mean, it's not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum either. You know, it's going to be what goes on mm -hmm. around him. Um, you know, there's new pieces on the offensive line. Uh, he loses two very good receivers yeah. um, who he didn't connect with last year, right. but still were, were threats and, and, you know, aided the offense and got, I thought he connected with Emir more as the season went on. It just took a while. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Last year it was more of a, I, I, he forced the ball to Sam Laporta way too much. Yep. And, and, and I think Nico Regani as well. And, and some of it, you know, it, it's probably comfort. Some of it, you know, you, you worry that it, is it a friendship thing? Wow. Sorry. <laughs> Nick, Nick Herzog committed to Northwestern. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. That's a surprise for those yeah. that don't know. Is uh, mm -hmm. that's uh, Mason Richmond's teammate from from Kansas, who thought Iowa had a pretty good chance with. But anyway, sorry to sorry to interrupt you, Scott. We're going to get to recruiting in a minute, but yeah. that one just kind of caught me off guard as I saw it pop up on my timeline. Well, you know that's a that's a you know for the for us old timers that's a you know skip the record uh, in a moment. You know, <laughs> there's the vinyl, and uh, we might as well roll with it, but. Uh, you know, that, that's that's an interesting move. I mean, they have maybe the best offensive tackle in, in college football. Uh, Skronsky last year was unbelievable for how and, young he was. And Iowa wanted him. Yeah. Bad. I think it still hurts Kirk and Brian yeah. that he's not here. 
Yeah, and I, you just wonder, you know, Mike, man, he, I think he, he was good enough, you know, and in Iowa, we know, is so reluctant to do this. I think he would have started at a right tackle for Iowa last year, and he'd be at left tackle this year. Um, yep. And uh, he's a guy that you got to face two more years because he was a true freshman <laughs> last year, but he's the first rounder. He's better than the guy, than Rashawn Slater, who was a high draft pick. And uh, I'm not going to go as far as to say Tristan Wirfs or Panay Sewell, but you know what? He's not far off. And that's pretty impressive. I'm sorry to break your train of thought though, on the, the quarterback discussion. Oh, we've got all summer to talk quarterback, but uh, this is just, just happening. So, <laughs> wow. Okay. You want to hop into recruiting? Let's do it now, okay. man. We're, yeah, we're just... we may as well. Um, so Herzog is the second guy, Scott, I think in the last week that had an official visit set for June 25th. Uh, that ended up committing to another Big Ten school. Uh, what's the young man's defensive end's name from Indianapolis? Was it Demetrius Allen? Does Demet- that sound yeah, right? I think that sounds right. Yeah, he committed to Rutgers on his official visit last weekend. So that's two guys. You know, and I know there's been some hand-wringing I've seen, you know, on social media, forums, things like that. This is going to be, and Scott and I have discussed this, this is just going to be a strange kind of, you know, the, the word, um, you know, we've never seen this before and things like that. Um, it, we haven't, this is an uh, this unprecedented kind of recruiting yeah. time because of what has happened the last 15 months. These kids are getting out and seeing campuses for the first time off for many of them for the first time ever yeah. in an official capacity. Um, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, there's a kids are committing now. Um, you know, they don't sign till December. What, you know, some of these kids can end up taking visits in the fall to games, changing their minds, just kind of be patient and, and see how this class shakes out. Um, Iowa's added, uh, you know, a couple of commitments since uh, it opened up on June 1st, the latest being Jaden Montgomery. Uh, son of Jerry Montgomery from Bayport High School up in Wisconsin, uh, alma mater of uh, projected starting left tackle Jack Plum. Did you, did you go up there to do yeah, the Jack Plum story? Mm-hmm. What's it like up there? Oh, it's 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 nice. I mean, you know that he, he, they live in a great neighborhood. <laughs> I actually sat with him and Henry Guile and both sets of parents, and and we talked for a long time about uh, Iowa, and of course. You know, one's going to start and one left very quickly after his uh, uh, first year in campus. I don't campus. think Henry's resurfaced anywhere either. No, he, he hasn't. May have, uh, may have decided the sport was not for him. Yeah, well, or it decided that way for himself. But yeah, yeah. It's, that it is kind of strange. But no, I, I Bayport is is a good high school up there. Uh, they've got a lot of good players. I think you know Plum. You know, such an interesting story in his own right. You know, with the you know his mom. His mom's uh, father is Fritz Shermer, you know, one of the top 10 defensive coordinators in NFL history, you know, led the Packers to the Super Bowl with Reggie White and those guys. Uh, and then uh, Ted Plum, his paternal grandfather, uh, you know, was, a, I think, receivers coach for the 85 Bears. And, and, uh, and his parents kind of joke how his dad stalked <laughs> his mom. And, you know, they were both on the Phoenix Cardinals staff back in the early nineties and that's how they got together. And, but yeah, um, Bayport's a, a good, good school in the, in the green Bay school district. And, 
you know, I look at him and I think, you know, if he doesn't work out for him at linebacker, then he could probably flip over to the other side of the ball and play a fullback. And um, it's always good to have former players and, and legacies and, and to, to have them in the fold. And, and it looks like, you know, he was really wanting to be a Hawkeye. So that's, that's probably a good thing in the long term, especially in a year where you just don't know what you're going to get um, between now and the end of the month. And then certainly by December. Jerry, who has impressively worked his way up the coaching ladder from pretty much the bottom all the way up to being the defensive line coach for the Green Bay Packers currently. Uh, Mom, Natalie, maiden name Reese Montgomery, uh, Mm -hmm. former All-State volleyball player for Dyersville Beckman, uh, went to Iowa as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, as Jaden said, he told me he was kind of born to be a Hawkeye. um, And he really, as you said, Scott, he really wanted this. I've kind of Stayed in touch with him because I had a feeling on this one that that he was going to be a guy that Iowa wanted in its program. Not the prototypical linebacker size, no. as you said, could end up being a fullback. If you watch his film, though, he, he's a football player, and, and yeah. Iowa does well with these type of guys. Um, and I think he'll do a good job in helping recruit in this mm-hmm. class. And that's going to be a really important component now that you know, it's, it's, as you've said, I think speed dating here for the next six months, you're going to need your guys that are in this class to help you. Yeah. And if, if anybody knows what it's like to be an Iowa guy, it's somebody whose dad played for Iowa and, and played in that, you know, elbow joint of a, of a era, you know, part Hayden, part right. Kirk and had to learn and, and played well. And, and is a coach for the green Bay Packers, which has selected the most Hawkeyes of any NFL program. And, you know, whether that's of the Kirk career or across the board they have. And uh, so there's, there's some positivity there to, to go along with it. And if he can be a great teammate and if he can work himself into, you know, I, you know, and I, I don't want to sell him short. I think he can, you know, hey, come in and, and wow, you're a starter. But if he could come in and be a good teammate and play hard, he'll find his way onto the field, whether that's as, as a linebacker, as a fullback, as, you know, maybe it's special teams kingpin. That's an underrated position that yep. we've seen. You know, look at Terry Roberts, you know, for mm-hmm. Iowa and the impact he's had, or Devontae Young, or in the past, um, you know, Amani Jones was that way. Um, he would have been an all-American special teamer and um, Jeff Tarpinian and, and the Irish car bomb, Jamie Murphy. Zach Gableman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sean, Sean Considine. Yeah. Um, so if you can, you know, and you, you think about it, there's what, say, average of 10 punts per game, counting both teams, average seven or eight, maybe nine kickoffs per team. You know, you're on the field for – if you're on all four special teams, you're on the field 15 to 20, 25 plays a game. And that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. So, um, you know, but again, shoot, he could end up being a starter and being a great player and just being an undersized one. So, uh, or maybe he grows two inches and then he's, he's the right size for that position. Yeah. And it should be pointed out. It's a good point, Scott, that uh, these guys still have another high school season left. Um, it's just kind of the nature of recruiting. Um, these guys will not be here this fall. Uh, they yeah. will not be here for over a year or, or around. They'll report in, a, in about a year. So yeah. um, plenty of things can change, growth, um, development, things like that that you hope. So um, it was kind of cool. It, it, it was kind of cool and also a little bit um, 
depressing, maybe that's a too strong of a word, to see um, Jaden and Jerry and then uh, Kevin Casper and <laughs> Casper on <laughs> Having covered both of their fathers now, seeing them close to, uh, you know, finding their colleges and, and Jane five, finding his college. But uh, I joke. Uh, it's kind of cool to see uh, that Kirk Ferentz is now recruiting the sons of guys that he coached. Uh, Kyler Casper is a very high end wide receiver from Arizona. Uh, it's if you look at those photos, Scott, he he's. I don't know where he got that height from, but he's six four. Um, yeah. Kevin's probably six foot, six one, something like that. Yeah. Um, but Kyler has Kevin's athletic ability, which was off the charts mm-hmm. in a really big package. This one's going to be tough, but I could tell there was a lot of emotion from him, from his dad, from the ability to be with Jerry and former teammates Liddell Betts and Kelvin Bell and LeVar Woods. Um, that who are on the Iowa staff now. Uh, pretty cool situation this week, seeing, seeing those folks all get together again on campus. Sure. And you know, what's, you know what's really cool about those guys that you just brought up? That they were before, they were from the era right before, on the cusp, before Iowa got good. Yep. That they were, I think they all were uh, Fry recruits. Yep. And then they all played a little bit for Fry and then played most of their career for Kirk. And here they are. If nothing else, it matters to them. You know, if Kyler Casper stays out West and goes and tears it up for USC, I mean, nobody will begrudge him. They shouldn't anyway, mm-hmm. but it matters to him and it matters to his father. And it matters to, you know, and then Jerry Montgomery, Liddell Betts is back. Uh, LeVar, you know, played in the NFL for a handful of years and they're still you know, they weren't the ones, they're not the ones that are going to have, you know, things named after them or, you know, big <laughs> signs uh, draped across Carver uh, <laughs> or I mean, uh, Kinnick Stadium. But I think uh, still, you know, that's, that's something to see. And I, I, I'm happy for them. And, and uh, it, it's a good connection to make because sometimes those eras get forgotten. You know, it's like, well, they weren't very good. So let's just move on. And, and uh, they've done a good job of kind of, trying to bridge that if there was a gap they've done a good job of bridging it and, and that's the even the late fry guys like jerry devries who was just unbelievable he was so good um, mm-hmm. uh, you know as, as dominant as any defensive lineman they've ever had and uh, you know and really should be a hall of famer in college football but he just played for a bad team uh but you know getting honors from him and some other people i think is just yeah it, it's a good look for the program i think yeah, and um, it, it, we'll see how things play. And, and it's important to point out that Kyler Casper is a 23 recruit. He's only yeah. halfway through his high school career. So uh, those maybe wondering when he's going to commit. I mean, he's got he, – he, he can let this roll a little bit and just kind of see what's out there. And I think um, – it, it, I was asked this yesterday on the Mailbag podcast. He's got to see himself – in the Iowa system being productive and Iowa has a chance to show him that this year, maybe how it uses Tyrone Tracy. Yeah. Maybe how it, you know, involves the wide receivers a little bit more and says, Hey, cause that's what guys want to see. And pretty, I want to say, Hey, you can be this guy, you know, you can be, they showed Arlen Bruce. Hey, this is Tyrone Tracy. This is kind of what we can see 
the potential we can see for you. They need to continue to be able to, to show, you know, if, if it's Keegan Johnson or whatever, they need to be able to show Kyler Casper, you can be productive. You, we can develop you as a wide receiver in the system. Because let's face it, Scott, the, the history of receiver during the Kirk Ferentz era is not one – it's not a position that shines and it's kind of been a knock. Um, it's all relative, whatever your system is, you know, you do what you can do to win games. That's the most important thing. Uh, but there is a knock. People wonder whether they're going to be able to, it's, it's been that out there. Can Iowa land the highly ranked rec- recruits at that position? And then if they get them, can they do something with them? Um, yeah. That's, that's another thing. And it really shouldn't be that, that it is kind of an anomaly and uh because if you do have a pro style offense, you should be able to attract pro style receivers, mm-hmm. um, not the the guys who can catch and run, you know. So, but I do think the Greg Davis era really held back Iowa in a lot of ways when it came to this position. That was a bad hire, I, I, frankly. And uh, when you look at what they tried to do with certain receivers and it didn't work, how many they lost through attrition, you know, they recruited badly. Um, you know, Keenan Davis caught 50 passes the same year Marvin McNutt caught, what, 82? And then he it was a fraction of that the next year because they were trying to make him into something that he wasn't. Uh, Tavon Smith should have had a bigger, better role. He was a more athletic receiver as an X that could have stretched the field more often and could have done more. Um, and, uh, you know, then you look at other guys like Derek Willies. Uh, he had more ability than than any of them did, and, and Iowa couldn't get him on the field and he quits midway through the year. I mean, that's not a good look for him, yeah. but, but at the same time, if he's a good player and you're struggling, especially that year, they were struggling. They're at asthma on offense and, uh, and you can't get your guy on the field. I mean, come on. It just is it, a weird vibe. And I think that's what Iowa has to push through and having at Mir Smith Marset get drafted and look good at times. And Brandon Smith look good at times. I think it was just a, um, I think that's helpful, but I'm not sure, you know, in today's era where, you know, why are you going to, why would you go to Iowa if you could go to USC or another school that throws the ball deeper or whatever. So that's, that's going to be a tough thing. I don't think Kirk will ever be able to overcome that. Um, Maybe the next coach can, but I don't think Kirk can, but you could still get good players. We have time to see how that one plays out, Scott. Hit on some more recruiting names here. Uh, one that uh, certainly caught the, the attention of folks uh, last Friday, I believe it was, at the Lindenwood camp down in Missouri. Uh, young man by uh, last name Epinesa <laughs> got an offer. Uh, I O C Epinesa. Uh, yeah. What's he, 6'3, 200, whatever, 30, 40 pounds as a, you know, just finished his eighth grade year. He, there was one video, Scott, that I <laughs> tweeted. I think it was his, the junior high. It was either the junior high team or, or whatever, a Pop Warner team. They lined him up at fullback. He's just – it looks like um, Herman Munster. That's an old <laughs> reference. But just yeah, a, right. he looks just giant at fullback. And they got this little guy behind him at tailback. The quarterback just turns it around, turns around hands at the other side. Who just and I'll give some of the, the kids on the other team credit. They're they're like trying their best. They made an attempt to tackle him, but it was just ridiculous. It was just him bouncing off. Um, 
AJ told me, and I'm sure he told you years ago, that Yosei would probably end up being the best of the Epinesa crew. Uh, so now uh, going into his ninth grade year, not having played high school football, has offers from Iowa, Minnesota, and Utah. And uh, I, I think it's fair to say that there are, there are going to be quite a few more offers coming down the road for this young man. Yes, there will be. It will be. Uh, he'll get any offer he wants, he'll get um, because he's right. Uh, I went when I was back in my old land of 10 days and we used to do those trips. I went down to Edwardsville for the day and spent it with uh, with Epi and with AJ. And and we started out our day um, going and having lunch with with Yose at his elementary school. And he, <laughs> even then he was kind of a big kid and it was fun. like Gulliver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was big and, you know, and, but it was just, he was really nice. And, um, you know, and, and, but the vibe was from his dad, especially it was just how, yeah, this kid's, <laughs> this kid's going to be good. And, you know, Eric is, you know, I feel bad for Eric in some ways, you know, he's, uh, at least he's playing college football, but you know, he's, is all, all you know, their oldest sibling, the sister, uh, Samantha, you know, played volleyball at Purdue. And of course, AJ's with the bills and, um, got in a big fight the other day, that. John Feliciano, um, intercepted a pass, took it back. The, the offensive lineman didn't like it. And so AJ threw the ball in his face and then they started throwing down at, at uh, I like at it. OTAs. Yes. I, do I too. like it. You know, after last year where he cut from 275 to 245 and then, and then was terrible. Yeah. Um, and they built him back up, but, but anyway, yeah, I think, uh, I always got to hang on to this one as best as I can. The, the one question is going to be, you know, what comes first, you know, his signing the name on the dotted line or, or Kirk Ferentz um, riding off to the sunset. So, and, and will that matter uh, to, to Epi, to Yose and, and, uh, and the rest and of to, them? To put it in perspective from a timeline, Yose's class of 2025. Yeah. So. Right that kind of gives you an idea. We've got, we've got some uh, a ways to go before, uh, before we get there. So a um, couple other notes here, Scott, uh, Iowa offered uh, Cody Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ought with Jordan Vandenberg. They offered three guys out of that kind of lineman, big man camp from Saturday, Cody Fox, um, Brother of Taylor Fox, who's a sophomore from uh, Winthrop East Buchanan, got an offer uh, last Saturday. Uh, he was kind of a guy that I think they liked a lot, just wanted to get their eyes on in camp. And then Kale Crow uh, from Ballard, he is a 2022 offensive lineman yeah. uh, who also got an offer. And uh, I believe he will be officially visiting uh, on the 25th. Uh, he also has a Minnesota offer and will be officially visiting Minnesota the week before that. So another guy to kind of keep an eye on in this class. I like Iowa's chances there. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the only thing I watch for with him is will Iowa state come out with one mm-hmm. and, and where he's from. And it's kind of a surprise that they didn't. And now that Iowa has, and I know Minnesota has been on him a little bit earlier, even will they pull that trigger and will it matter? Because sometimes with a player like that, it could be like, hey, uh, the only reason why you offered me, you know, I, I've been to your camps, I've been to your area, I've been in the area for a long time, and you haven't pulled yeah. the trigger until, our, you know, one of your rivals did. So, um, so I, I like Iowa's chances. Minnesota hasn't been real 
successful in coming to the state. You know, they've, they've tried and uh, they'll keep trying, but they, you know, they, for every guy that they've tried to land, they've, they've fallen short. And, and uh, whether it's, you know, Jack Campbell was one that they were really wanting. Um, mm-hmm. That didn't happen. John Wagoner, um, you know, in fact, if uh, he didn't come to Iowa, that he may have ended up at Minnesota, but um, either way, I think you got to like an, an Iowa kid. You got to like him going to Iowa over Minnesota and just about every, unless there's a specific reason why they wouldn't. Another interesting one, Scott, and Sunday was the more of a skills seven on seven camp for Iowa. They have three of these uh, each Saturday and Sunday throughout this month. One that I think is going to be very fascinating. JJ Cole quarterback from Ankeny uh, 2023. Mm-hmm. Iowa State offers at a camp. Iowa offers at a camp. If the name sounds familiar, his father is the Bears kicking coach. Uh, Cole Camps, you know, synonymous with development of kickers and specialists. His dad kicked at Iowa State. Uh, This one to me is going to be fascinating. And this kid's a good quarterback. I did a story on him uh, before he got the two offers. I kind of watched his film and said this. I like how, how this kid uh, handles himself and uh, he uh, big kid a lot bigger than his dad uh, yeah six looks, looks the part um, this one will be fascinating to see how this because I think he's going to get more offers out of state as well um, he's in you know he's been, he took part in the elite 11 um, he's he's got some other camps coming up uh, really good prospect but you don't see that a lot you don't see a lot of in-state quarterbacks that Iowa and Iowa State fight over right. Yeah, we haven't seen that for a long, long time. Uh, yeah. um, I think what's fascinating is Central Iowa is really starting to accumulate a lot of really good quarterbacks um, that are Division One prospects, whether they end up in, in, in the state or they go out of state. I mean, you first you look at, um, you know, uh, Jace Bauer, yep. you know, is in Central Michigan, and, and that's why uh, and that's why Cole really didn't get a play last year, you know. Mm-hmm. at Ankeny, but he will now. And he's, and I think Cole, as you said, is a much better prospect. He just hasn't had the experience or of course the success. And then you look at uh, Jackson Daly. He's committed right now to Arkansas state. I wonder if it, it just, it, you wonder as everybody plays musical chairs, if some team like an Iowa um, goes, all right, well, we're just going to need somebody, you know, in this class. Um, and then you, you know, what Jameson Patton, from Roosevelt wrote about him this week. He got offered by Iowa state last night at their camp as a safety. Okay. And he'll be, I think he, I don't think he's camped here yet, but he will. Yeah. Um, he's going to Yeah, really good athlete. man. Mm-hmm. I, he's a really good be- baseball player too. He was an all conference baseball player, I think as an eighth grader. So mm. uh, kind of neat. Yeah. And then uh, as you mentioned, Cole, and then the, the Ames kid, uh, Trenton Smith, yep. you know, was, was showing it off and in, in that skills camp, he's a 24. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> I'm like, wow. I, I'm like, uh, you know, putting together a rundown and I'm looking at his video and I'm like, well, it's kind of weird to write about kids who've never played in the high school or at the yep. varsity level, but that's kind of where we are with this stuff. And, but you know, that, that's a handful of kids right from that area that, uh, are division one prospects and there might be more, but um, I think it's, uh, I think it's certainly fascinating. A couple of offers out uh, Liddell Betts doing some work down 
uh, in Florida at Largo High School. Darius Hayes uh, got an offer the other day. He's a 20, 2024 linebacker. Uh, and then also his team, teammate, Xavion McCluster. Yes, if that name sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, the McClusters have been playing at Largo. His older brother, I believe, went to Florida State. Uh, he was in, in a, one of the last few classes, but uh, looks like Iowa's going to work some relationships down in that area. Um, see how Quavon Matthews does this year. If he has a good year, that always helps uh, to uh, pave the way at those schools down there when they when there's a kid on the program in the program having success. Um, yeah, and we'll have plenty more to talk about on the football recruiting front again next week, Scott, with more camps coming up this weekend and uh, uh, offers going out. Let's flip over to the basketball side. Not to be outdone on the basketball side, um, Iowa lands a commitment from a four-star point guard. Um, <laughs> I know people are kind of blowing this up as, you know, Fran finally got the, the you know, the, the big-time point guard and this is a program changer. Tap the brakes a little bit. Um, I really like DeSante Bowen. I think this is a great get, but to put too much pressure on this kid before he even gets to campus. Um, good get, though. I mean, they beat some quality programs from him. He was uh, – I, I wrote, <laughs> wrote about his official visit on Tuesday night, and then he, then he committed the next day to write the next story. But he was scheduled to officially visit Northwestern and Maryland this month. Obviously, those are not going to happen. You, that that's a good get. You're beating two other Big Ten teams basically for a guy um, who's six three, six four, uh, length. Uh, really, if you, I, I encourage people to watch some of his film. Uh, really, really great potential here. I think. Yeah, and anytime you can go to the Brewster Academy and grab somebody that they're well known and and he's he's got he's got everything Fran wants from that position and he's never really had. I mean, the closest one that kind of fits, even though he's not as tall as this guy is, was, was Devin Marble, um, you know, because he was long and he could really do it all. And, and uh, they've kind of been hamstrung a little bit at, at point guard over the years. Um, haven't gotten the guy that, you know, Mike Gazelle was a nice player, um, but kind of limited um, scoring at least. Um, I think you look at um, Joe Toussaint's got some ability, but, you know, it's been a little bit inconsistent, I think, over the years. And, and, uh, but if you can get somebody who can run this ship the way they want it to, I think they've got a really good chance of, of, uh, continuing, you know, what they want to do. And, and with, with DeSante Bowen, I mean, you know, how do you think he fits in? I mean, is he going to be a guy that's going to step in and automatically start or automatically get 20 minutes a game or is he a guy that's going to fit somewhere what, what do you think based on what you've seen of him it's going to be a really interesting uh dynamic here scott i think because you'll have joe toussaint being a senior uh you know conceivably you've got aaron ulis already a point guard um where he fits in when he gets here i think it's to be determined I, you know toussaint gets the first shot here this year yeah. You know, can he prove that he's the guy? Mm -hmm. If he doesn't, can Aaron Eulis step in and prove he's the guy? If they can't, this kid's talented. This yeah. kid can talent come in right away day one, and, you know, he's going to have growing pains. But if you don't have an answer at point guard on your current roster, 
Yeah. Don't find that. You've got a whole season here to figure it out to, for, for these guys to get their opportunity. J- Toussaint's been waiting for it. I know Eulis wants a shot. It's up to them. It, it, yeah. You know, best of best case scenario is you get Toussaint showing this year that he's the guy. And then you can bring Bowen in and maybe have a year of him being a backup to Toussaint and then start. Maybe Eulis is that guy. Yeah, it's a good situation. They need depth at that position. They need to find a difference maker at that position. And now I think you just look at it. Iowa's positioned to have a difference maker there. Who that's going to be, well, time will tell. Right. No, you're right. This it's good. Now Iowa is going to be able to work through this. And, you know, and I think the the best part of having Jordan Bohannon back is he moves off the ball, which means he can still do it. And it's not like they're set roles anyway. I mean, I think I I get trapped in that and I know everybody Mm -hmm. else does too, which is, well, you know, if you're a number two, you're number two, you're not, you know, no, a lot of times you're bringing up the ball, you're getting them into the offense too, or, you know, so you could have two point guards on the, on the court at the same time. Now sometimes having two shooting guards on the court without a point, it could be a challenge. You can get it mm-hmm. done, but it, it takes some, some time. But I like, I like this a lot. I think this is a really big one because you know, they did, I thought they struggled um, in recruiting for a, a good couple of years um, after Connor committed because everybody who was a good point guard saw him and said, he's a four star. He's the coach's kid. Uh, I'm not going to play. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to consider Iowa. And uh, as we can see, you know, Connor is Connor can play the point, but he's just more of a player on the floor. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that he can play any position and he can do anything you ask him to do, but he's not necessarily, you know, uh, dedicated to one spot. So um, now I think they're kind of a little bit more freed looking ahead and see who's there. So. Um, yeah. And this was, this is kind of, you follow this as well, Scott, this is kind of the classic, when Fran gets a kid that's highly ranked like this, it's usually by identifying him very early in the process, offering and then building that relationship and then holding off the other programs that come in after that. We saw it with Tyler Cook. We saw it with Luca Garza. And I think Bowen kind of fits in that category as well uh, of a guy who got increasingly more interest as his career went on but Fran was in there right away and early and, you know, building that relationship. That's there's basketball uh, recruiting one-on-one, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. a place like Iowa, you have to do that. You can't. And even then, you know, they're, they're the ones that have that lost, you know, Tyler Eulis, of course, being the number one, which was, he did all the right things. And then at the end, the blue blood swat, swept, uh, swooped in. Now he told me later that he would have went to Michigan state but that was at the final four where Michigan state was there. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, it's hard to say, but, but even so, I, I think this is a really a, a great move um, for Fran for the program. Now what's, what's next. I mean, what's kind of the scholarship layout for uh, the, the upcoming year, who, who do they have? And, and I mean, they have one available scholarship this year mm-hmm. still, although I don't know that they'll use it unless they just decide, Hey, we're going to promote a, um, you know, one of the walk-ons, but yeah, they actually have two. If you, if you take Wieskamp out of the oh, equation okay. and, and Wheezy's not on the updated roster on the, 
official website, which I found interesting. And they may, maybe they did that with Tyler Cook when he was going through the draft process as well. Um, but Bohannon doesn't count this year because he's a super senior. So you can conceivably fill that extra scholarship. But I, I'm with you. I don't think they will. Uh, a guy in 22, Scott, who I think uh, Iowa sits pretty well positioned with, visited here on Tuesday unofficially, got his first visit uh, under his belt. Josh Dix from Council Bluffs, Abraham Lincoln, uh, really, really had a really good junior year. Uh, 6'5", shooting guard, um, Iowa offered him, I think, back in April. Um, I think if you add him with Bowen and then go for a big body in addition, I think that's a nice 22 class. Um, Dix, you know, has good scholarship offers to this point, but I think he's going to get more as the kind of as the summer goes along. He's got official put it this way, he's got an offer from Purdue and he's going to visit Purdue. So that gives you an idea kind of the level of talent he is. And I, it would, you know, if Iowa can keep him in state, that's that. And, and away from Purdue, uh, Wake Forest, uh, he, he said he's going to visit. Drake is also offered and Wake Forest is offered, but he said his summer visits will be Purdue, Nebraska, Wake Forest, Creighton, and Utah. So this would be uh, this would be a nice in-state snag for Fran if they could get him. I, I'm not sure what type of timeline he's on. Again, with these kids that haven't had a chance to get out and visit, you kind of just got to sit back and let them go through this process and, and visit these schools because they really have no point of reference at this point. You know, Iowa was his first visit. Right. Yeah. And you just let it play out. Um, it's fast. I think the Western Western Iowa phenomenon is something that I don't quite grasp very well. And I don't know that either one of us do because we don't live there. But when you were on the Missouri River out in Council Bluffs and in the Omaha area, it's it's Iowa is just another school. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just it's, it's the state that you live in. But um, you just it's not the same as um, being in from Cedar Rapids or even Davenport. So it, it's, it just takes it, people go, Oh, you lost an Iowa recruit, you know, somebody like Thomas Fedone. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, but technically he's way closer to, to Lincoln and, and there's a different media market. And, um, but yeah, how Creighton in Nebraska makes sense because they're within, you know, an hour drive or thereabouts. So um, Purdue, yeah, and, gotta, Purdue and Wake will be interesting. Mm -hmm. The old, the old Iowa guy down there at Wake, I'm sure, right. is going to be coming up here when he can. Steve Forbes, yep, yeah, he definitely will. And so, yeah, okay. And that way he can use his Iowa charm. And it mm -hmm. makes sense. I mean, he's a great guy. He, he really is. And from Lone Tree, just south of Iowa City, and knows knows Iowa history as well as anybody does. Um, but um, And if there's anybody in the Big Ten whose talent evaluation I trust, along with Fran, it's Matt Painter. Mm -hmm. He does not always get four and five stars, but he gets it, you. You see the kids that he gets and develops, and if he's interested in Josh Dix, that's enough for me. Yeah, right. They play a style. I, I look at Purdue basketball as kind of the equivalent of Iowa football. Mm -hmm. they, they play a style. It's a physical style. It's a grinding style, but they always find a way to play hard and smart they don't beat themselves usually and and sometimes they kind of rear up and and compete for a championship and other times they they're more of a mid-level team but i i really like the way painter plays um 
sometimes it can be excruciating when it gets to be a real grind. <laughs> but um, but you know what? Nobody's ever accused them of not playing defense. Yeah, ever. they play defense and they're physical and sometimes physical to a fault. But they they uh, they're a team you got to be concerned about because they do develop, as you said, in a, in a great way. I mean, look at their in-state competition. Um, Indiana tends to get the four and five stars, the one and dones. And then they don't, don't develop the guys around them, which is why Indiana is Indiana right now. <laughs> that, yeah. Oh, yeah, they've got to take your pick over the last 10, 12 years. Uh, great, great players, five-star guys that, you know, show a lot in the freshman year, then they leave, and nobody around them does anything. So, uh, but, in, but Purdue's the one that develops everybody, which is why they've had more overall team success in, in the Painter era. Yeah, good point. Um, we'll wrap up the recruiting discussion for this week, Scott, with uh, the marquee visitor to Iowa's campus, football or basketball, this week. Omaha Baloo um, took his took his first – well, no, he's visited here before. I think back in 2019 he was here for a football game. I have photos of that. But um, Iowa's been on him since the beginning. This is a national recruit. Um, he visited Nebraska – this week, uh, then stopped at Iowa, I believe, on Monday or Tuesday. He's got Kansas and Iowa State coming up, uh, and then Kentucky, <laughs> Gonzaga. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't want to poo-poo Iowa's chances here. Iowa has a relationship with he and his, uh, his uh, I don't advisor, I think yeah. that is how he's referred to. But uh, – huh. He is a high-level uh, 2024 recruit, played at Waukee last year with Peyton Sanford. So there's that relationship as well that helps Iowa. Um, we'll see how this plays out. You never say never, Scott, but uh, at least Iowa's in the game. Yeah, right. I guess you get you say that. If, if he's coming to campus, then great. You know, you've at least got a shot. Now, having a shot against uh, – um, Kansas and Kentucky is, you know, like firing a musket versus an M16 sometimes. And um, as we saw during uh, March and April, <laughs> even, even if your team's a top five team in the country uh, most of the year and uh, doesn't matter. So I don't know. What do you, what do you give us chances? I mean, he's got a history here. I mean, with the staff and, and players on the roster, do you think he's got a Iowa's got a legitimate shot or is it just kind of, you know, go for it as long as you can or something. Yeah. I mean, he still has three years of, or no, two years of high school left. So, um, you know, there's a lot to play out. I think for Iowa, the best opportunity is to show that after losing, you know, what it lost last year in Garza, Wieskamp, Frederick, what can it do this year? Is it a pro? It can can it stay at that NCAA tournament level and show movement with a younger roster that bright days are ahead? So if he comes in with that group, um, they have a chance to do something. Because the guys at this level that have a chance to play wherever they want, they want to win, man. They want to go for that national championship. He's probably thinking in his mind, he's a one and done. You know, does he have a chance at Iowa? Or, you know, the, the one thing that I think is more encouraging recently are a guy like Cade Cunningham yeah. going to Oklahoma State. We're not seeing and, – and then you also have coaching changes at North Carolina 
and Duke um, and Gonzaga is taking advantage of this, of getting those one and dones. But guys aren't just going to Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina as, as the top guys anymore. Some of those guys are going, seeing that they can go to other schools and maybe Omaha's that guy. That said, it's a long shot. I mean, it just, you're, you're working in reality when you say that Iowa is going to get, you know, a top 10 national recruit. Yeah. It seems like uh, when you, when Iowa can get somebody who is at an elite level, Joe Camp's probably the best example that it, it, there's a reason. Well, mm-hmm. he committed when he was a freshman. He's from the state of Iowa. He's from 40 miles away. And that's not an issue. Uh, Tyler Cook, well, he was the second guy, you know, with, with Jason Tatum. Yep. <laughs> they weren't going to get Jason Tatum, but they could get Tyler Cook. Uh, Luca Garza was a four-star, but he's a really good player. But um, nobody foresaw what we what we got the last couple of years, especially. And then, you know, the McCaffrey brothers are four-stars, but they're from Iowa City. And, of course, their dad's the head coach. So it's tough for Iowa to land somebody like that. Now, as you said, you know, Kate Cunningham gets to, goes to Oklahoma State. Um, there are other players who go places, and you wonder how they do it. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. basketball, so you really wonder how they do it. But, um, and then, but then there's also a fear that you've got to be cognizant of is the way the sport is going. Okay, say, uh, all right, let's go play at Iowa for a year. Well, they're not using me the right way. I'm going to just transfer to Duke or North Carolina, mm-hmm. and then they take you, and, and then um, – you know, so you've got to constantly sell your players every year now, not just, um, you know, once and then hope to keep them when they uh, flirt with the NBA. I mean, now it's you got to be constant with them because they, you know, they, they could be almost transient until yeah. they go to the pro level. Yeah. And, and Omaha has uh, has shown he has the. Uh... He's not against moving. He started, he played as a freshman at Dowling, played as a sophomore at Waukee, and now he's headed to prep school. I don't know if he's made a decision yet on which prep school he's going to get go to, but you've got, uh, you know, Sunrise Christian Academy is probably in the mix. And then uh, I, I don't know if any of the New England prep schools like Brewster, but uh, where, did, uh, where did Andrew Fleming go? Oak Hill. Oak Hill, yeah. So he's going to surface at one of those places, and then who knows where the recruitment goes from there once you get to prep school. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's it's a strange world, isn't it? Yeah. Where, where you just don't want to go to your high school that you've been going to since you were young and or make friends and <laughs> stay. But, you know, and, yeah, I mean, he might go – if he goes somewhere else, then, you know, he, he could be – my guess is if he goes to an Iowa, you know, or, you know, take your pick for any school, Creighton or mm-hmm. something like that, then that's a one-year thing and then gone, you know, whether it's to the NBA or to another school. So, yeah. We'll Coaches see how that, cognizant. Yep. We'll see how that plays out. And Fran will keep recruiting and recruit until he knows he's out of it. And then he'll move on to the next guy. And that's kind of how he – uh kind of how he's approached this thing. Um, he never really gets too caught up in, in when he loses a guy or, um, you know, gets upset uh, and, and it affects what he's doing from there. Let's hit on a national story before we get out of here, Scott, and not the first time we've hit on it. Uh, the NIL back in the news. Um, we're, we're running this. 
this train is heading for, uh, um, I don't know, a crash on July 1st. What's going on here? I mean, what is that? What happened yesterday, Wednesday, June the 9th, it, you know, it, with the, you know, with the hearings in DC, it, it, the NCAA should be embarrassed, man. Yeah, the NCAA should be embarrassed, whether it's the organization or the schools that comprise it, because they've allowed this to, to become an issue for so long. And now they're just saying, Congress, take it. We can't yeah. deal, we can't police ourselves. This is something that, frankly, when we looked back at when Shabazz Napier is saying, I can't eat. Yep. And then they changed. And then you look at the how arcane those rules were back then to where, you know, oh, if you put cream cheese on a cracker, it's a meal and you're in a violation versus just a cracker. You know, and so they changed that. And then you look at, you know, what remember Jim Delaney deciding, you know what, we're going to add more, uh, uh, you know, full cost of attendance through a stipend and how oh, this is going to be the, the end of the world. Well, it wasn't. Players aren't going to a school because they get a larger uh, amount of money. I don't think I've ever asked a recruit that before uh, because their stipend is larger. And now, but you know, the NCAA, and then you look at what King Coulter tried to do and, and failed to do, but really put it out there with the unionization. Now you're looking at it going, you had all this time, all this forewarning to know how it was rolling, get in front of it, make it happen. Now they, now they lost so much control over it. They look idiotic, first of all, but then also, you know, everything's going to change and you can't have 50 states doing having 50 different laws because that will impact recruiting more than any of the stipend BS. I mean, if you could go, if, if you've got a recruit and he, and he can't, you know, have a YouTube channel in Iowa and make money on it, but he can in Nebraska or Minnesota football or basketball, you might pay the price for it. And um, I think that's something that, you know, the NCAA is screwed up, but yet, you know what their screw up is, let's just keep um, adding years to, to Mark Emmert's contract. And the guy just, I mean, is there anybody more Teflon in this world than Mark Emmert with the NCAA? I mean, what else do you need to do to get fired? But here he is in front of Congress and it looks like a complete and utter shit show. Uh, and he was asked yesterday, uh, basically it was told, you know, or, or you know, do you feel like you're doing a good job? He said, it's not for me to answer for it's for the people that employ me. So yeah. like, I mean, yeah, he's a knucklehead, but he gets paid a lot of money to go up there and be a stooge for these other, I mean, it's not just him. It's the, it's the, his bosses. It's these right. schools that, you know, just, what do you, do you think this is just going to go away? I mean, Scott just ran down the, the chronological order yeah. of how we've gotten to this point, And it's just like, I don't know. Is it denial? Is it just not, you know, whatever happens happens. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's mind boggling how this has been handled. And now, I mean, Iowa can be affected by this from a yeah. local standpoint. Um, this is, this can affect recruiting. There's, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. This isn't just a, Oh, cross our fingers. You know, like the stipend situation. Well, Iowa, um, the cost of attendance might be $3,200 right. versus 46 for Michigan State or something. And that's not going to matter. And that has not mattered. This will matter. And this does matter. I mean, you look at what Tyler Goodson does on his YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. If he can monetize it, um, 
you know, other players are going to do the same thing. And I think even ferrets has recognized it's coming. It's just a matter of, can you get it and do it the right way? And, and they've fallen behind for so long and try to pretend it's kind of like, you know, you're going to sell your house in a month, but your garage is filled to the rafters with junk and you don't know where to start. And you just look in all directions <laughs> and now, now you've got five days left and you're going, I don't know where to start. Uh, you know, you, somebody else do this for me and it's too late. And that's kind of where they are. And, and it's, and the shame of it all is had the schools been proactive in 2000, say 15 or 16, they could have been in control of this in a lot better ways. I mean, I think the sane and, and best way is number one, incoming freshmen cannot be part of it. I think because my fear is it's not football, it's basketball, but I guess football can also be a fear, but it's the one and done that gets the Nike deal to go to Duke mm. or, or North Carolina or the Adidas deal for another school or whatever. Um, two, that uh, when you, you just you think of, uh, I lost my train of thought on this, but but they, they you could have like a, the, the compliance office at these schools and at the conference level be like, um, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, sweepstake, you know, some sort of a, a clearinghouse for, uh, for all of these off the offers that are not uh, based on YouTube channels and Twitter feeds and stuff like that, like businesses. So that way you can have a reputable business uh, go to the school and say, we would like to, hire Tyler Goodson to be our spokesman at Billion Auto to, you know, for commercials and signings and things like that. And then the compliance office at Iowa could go to him and say, hey, uh, we just received an offer uh, if you're interested and here is what it is. And then they can help them with taxes. They can help them and make sure that, um, you know, you, you don't end up at a place where somebody signing autographs at, you know, Woody's, you know, or just stuff like, you know, in other places and, you know, Columbus, Ohio or wherever. And, and, and then, and then going all the way down to, Hey, I'm from Decorah and I'm a sophomore linebacker at Iowa named Josie Jewell. Can I go back and, and do a football camp for two days, the Josie Jewell football camp? Cause, but now they've lost all of those opportunities. Now you're down to what you know you take an organization that knows the pitfalls that something like this can bring along you, you, you would hope that they're kind of the most knowledgeable of what rules and regulations need to be put into place to make this work the best it can for everybody across the map across the country across levels instead now you're letting it go out of your hands and letting somebody else regulate and come up with rules for your product and they don't know what they're doing then all of those pitfalls and, and issues that could pop up can now pop up instead of like you said scott being proactive for the last six years you could have come up with this plan you had so much time to be able to come up with the you know the rules and regulations of how to make this work as best you can. And you're going to have issues that you're, have, you're going to have to fix throughout. But now you go all the way to the end where you're put up against the wall. Like you said, 
you, you things were piling up in the garage and you're like, man, I, I need to clean that out. And then more things pile up in the garage, man, I, I need to do something. Like yeah, that. Right. And then eventually the garage is all the way full and you're screwed. Yeah, exactly. You have nowhere to go. And, and it, it's, you know, I, I'm not a political, I'm more of a political novice, but my, but from what I've seen is the last place you want to have them telling you what to do is Congress, <laughs> you know, uh, especially in this polarized era yep. uh, that are, because they're subjected to all kinds of lobbyists and the lobbyists have their own best interests in hand and not that of the American people. Or uh, so I, you know, you could be subjected to a handful of good lawyers in the South that go into some, um, a handful of senators or reps and saying this is what's best for the student athletes is to allow them to do everything they want without regulation and voila the the law of the land becomes that and you lose the chance to to govern yourself and for an organization as horrifically bureaucratic as the ncaa is and it is so bureaucratic it needs to be imploded frankly um where they have Committees on committees. This is legitimately true, where they have a committee who decides which committees they should have <laughs> and who should be a part of them. And now they can't, the most important aspect of what they do, they cannot figure out. And they've had ample time to do it. It tells me that they're incapable of running college, collegiate sports and the current state from here until eternity. It needs to change. Um, if that means the autonomy conferences break away completely or they just burn it to the ground and uh, start over again, I don't know. I mean, I, I want an overarching organization to regulate college sports, make sure that, you know, somebody's not signing 500 kids and somebody's right. not paying, you know, a hundred million or, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to each recruit or, or taking, uh, basketball recruits to the Churchill Downs and letting them bet on every horse and walking away with, you know, 50 grand after every weekend or something like that. But I think right now this is, uh, it, it's out of control. And, um, you know, what, what's the biggest uh, violation, uh, the lack of institutional control for a campus? I think that's what they are. They're, they're lacking institutional control over their entire organization. Yeah. And they, concern themselves with the minutia of what's going on in their, you know, with their member schools, just nonsensical stuff instead of putting their energy into this. And we'll see what happens, Scott. July 1st is not far off. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll kind of see um, what what happens and how how this goes. We'll talk more about it, I'm sure, because July is going to be interesting when it comes to this. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. There's not much time on the clock and they've let the, they've let the clock run out. It's on them. Right. Right. And uh, you know, they've lost control of that and they're going to lose more control over football. Cause it looks like, you know, next week we've got um, some significant meetings regarding playoff expansion. It's yep. going to happen. It's really, you know, a month ago, a couple of colleagues of mine, Andy Staples and Stuart Mandel reported it was looking more like 12. And that seems to be the case. Pete Tamil uh, wrote about it as well. So I think that's, uh, that's what, where it's headed when it happens. We don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me if this happens earlier rather than later. Um, because, you know, kind of going all the way back to what we first talked about with the alcohol situation in Iowa that there have been so many different 
um, you know, financial problems associated with the pandemic that that schools are trying to catch up from. And uh, the the biggest boost financially would be to say, okay, here we go. Uh, we're going to have um, uh, a boost in the playoffs, and that's going to add every give everybody an extra shit in the Big Ten, probably ten million dollars. You know, now the side factors are going to be really fascinating to me. Not only you know if it's twelve teams, Iowa would have been really close last year, but on the outside looking in. Uh, what does that do to the second tier bowls? What does it do to the New Year's Six bowls who aren't part of it? Yep. Uh, what does it mean to the Outback Bowl? Because if, let's say, you're in the Big Ten championship game or the SEC championship game and you lose and you're not in the playoff anymore, uh, you think your fans will want to go if you're uh, in Big Twelve to the Alamo Bowl or to the Outback Bowl if you're Iowa or or an SEC team? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Nobody's going to go to those games. So what, what's it going to mean for? I think that's probably the most vulnerable tier. It's not the the low tier people are going to go. I mean, if you're Eastern Michigan and you get to go to a bowl game in Mobile, Alabama, you're going to go. That's fun. But if you're Iowa, you're 10 and two, you win the West and you're playing Ohio state. And if you win, you, you still probably get into the um, playoff. If you lose, you're probably not. Fans will go to the playoff, but they'll say, eh, I've already been to the Outback Bowl five times in the last 10 years. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we can wrap on that, but I, I think it's obvious, Scott, the, the landscape of college athletics is going to change quite a bit in the next couple of years from the, you know, the NIL to what really was exposed during the pandemic with how important football and men's basketball are to these universities. Um, to, to, as you said, that, you know, the, the front porch of college football playoff being expanded and how much more money that brings in, you know, to Nick Saban getting an extension in his salary. I just yeah. think a lot of things during the last year have kind of been come to come to realization. People maybe that didn't pay as much attention to what's going on in college athletics. And now that the government's involved, I, I, I just think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next next year or so. Yeah, I do too. And uh, the, the outsized importance of those two sports cannot be understa- you know, understated at all. And anybody who you know, tries to make a comparison, it, it's made on false pretenses. It's yes, on the field, the, the games are equal, they're games. But off the field, they're not because one makes money for everybody one makes money for itself in women's basketball, which is the biggest financial loser out of the bunch. Honestly, that's the truth. And then, uh, then football pays for everybody else. So it's just, yeah. Like in the fall, it was safe enough to play football, but all the other fall sports were moved to the spring. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what's going on. If they, you know, reality is that football should have been played in the spring or not at all, but the financial impact already is devastating. It would have been nuclear if if they didn't play at the power five level, you know, and, and then you look at 
you know, men's basketball. I still don't understand what the Big Ten tried, did, allowing them to have non-conference men's basketball games, but not non-conference baseball or softball or tennis matches or, or whatever. And you no look at just, baseball or softball postseason tournaments in the Big Ten either. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it, it just and you look at how that impacted those teams. Um, you know, it hurt them in every way. I mean, women's tennis at Iowa yep. had a chance and because they only played themselves. So baseball, you know, Iowa and Indiana got left out. Iowa softball should have been in the postseason. None of them happened because they only cannibalized themselves and, and their RPI, you know, I, I think teams, I think schools and the leagues and, and the committees penalized the Big Ten. It's no question. And so why does Iowa get to play Iowa State and whoever else in the non-con during November and bat, men's basketball and women's basketball, but they can't play, Iowa can't play Iowa State and women's softball? Exposed. It yeah. is. I mean, it's, it's, it, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't take a genius to figure out uh, what makes, makes it go and, and why things are done the way they're done. I mean, yeah. it's pretty apparent, so. All right, Scott, I think that's a wrap for this week. I know you've yeah. got other things going on. I've got a high school podcast to do here in a little bit. Um, okay. For your prep sports, that'll be on this feed as well. Uh, thank you for doing this. Um, check out Scott's work on The Athletic, again, for uh, the state of the program pieces on there and a lot of other great stuff uh, from uh, local, from Iowa and around the Big Ten and around the country. And uh, we will be back to talk with you on the Hawkeye Hotspot uh, next Thursday. Um, I have a consultation with the back surgeon next Thursday, so we may have to shift, shift, the, uh, shift oh. the podcast around. But um, that's another story for another day. Um, we'll get out of here now. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott. <laughs>